Okay, so we're in John's Gospel. I want to read one verse from chapter 13 and then into chapter 14. Uh, it happens I'm, I'm reading from the NASB. You may be reading from the NIV or ESV. There's so many translations these days. But they don't differ very much. You may find a word here or there different, but not significantly. Okay, so John 13, verse 33. Little children... I am with you a little while longer. You'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. Chapter 14. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I'm in the father? And the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father, abiding in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father. The Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. And greater works than these he'll do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I'll do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world can't receive but you, because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will see me no longer. But you'll see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you'll know that I am in my Father And you in me, and I in you. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in your name. Thank you for that. You found a people who are eager for your presence. You are welcome here. We love gathering to the reality of God. We love you being with us. And Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we do thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher And we thank you, Lord, that you said, if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father 
Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So, Father, we ask right now, let the Holy Spirit rest upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. We pray we won't hear just the preacher's voice, but hear you in our hearts. That what happens here is a supernatural thing of you speaking to us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a kind of unique claim of Christians that we believe that we have with us the presence of God. That God himself is present with us. Now, of course, if you go back into our Jewish history or roots of our faith, you'll find that men like, say, Moses. One day Moses is looking after a few sheep. And uh, one day he, he sees a bush that's burning and it's not like going up in flames or up in smoke. It just keeps on burning and burning and burning. And he's arrested by the sight of this bush. And he goes to investigate. And when he gets very close, suddenly out of that bush, out of this glory cloud, a voice comes and speaks to him and calls him by name, Moses, and commissions him to serve this living God who's speaking to him. He tells him to go down to Egypt collect all the people of God, some two million people that are currently slaves in Egypt and bring them out, bring them to this mountain to bring them back to this very place. And uh, they make the long journey. You know all about the battles with Pharaoh, but they come back to this very mountain. And if one bush is filled with glory for Moses, the whole mountain is filled with glory for these two million people. It says there's lightning and thunder and smoke and a voice which two million people heard. I wonder if you've ever thought of that. Two million people standing in a kind of desert wilderness looking up at the skies and they hear the voice of God speaking to them. Two million people hear the living God, the creator of the universe, speaking to them. And he begins to make covenant with them and begins to make promises to them that he will always go with them. He will travel with them. He will accompany them, that they're his special people. And actually at Mount Sinai, he kind of covenants like a betrothal, like a marriage. He says, you're my special people, my special treasure. I brought you to myself. He uses extraordinary language to express his love for them, his commitment to them, and his promise to always be with them. Now, we just need to know that God wasn't doing that anywhere else in the world. He wasn't coming down on Brazilians and Russians and Chinese. He was coming to this one nation, just this one people, the children of Abraham. He's coming to them, fulfilling the promise he made to Abraham, that this special people would ultimately be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That was the way he was going to do it. He wasn't coming immediately to all the nations. He was going to come through this people, ultimately through a Messiah who would come through them and then bless ultimately all the nations. So these are unique. There are people who are peculiarly blessed by the living God. And as they're traveling, we find one time that they're very backslidden, uh, they actually make a, gold, they make a golden calf. They start worshipping a false god. And God says, that's enough. I'm withdrawing. It's all over. And Moses, this great man of prayer, pleads with God. Lord, no. And God says, I'm not going with you anymore. And Moses prays. He says, look, if your presence isn't going to go with us, don't take us any further. We're not going any further. Because what? Well, this is what makes us unique. 
That's who we are. We're the, the unique people on the planet who have God with us. So if God's not with us, what's the point? It's all over. And he argues and pleads with God, please come with us. Don't, don't back off. Don't leave us alone. And God hears his prayer and responds to it and says, okay, okay, I'm going to stay with you. I'll keep traveling with you. It's a very important time in Jewish history when this guy, as a mediator, pleads with God. And God says, okay, I'll stay. I'll keep coming with you. Actually, he not only travels with them, there comes a point where he says, you know, you're living in tents. They were tent dwellers. They're on the move. So they pitch camp, they live in tents, they move on, pitch camp again. And and God said, I want my tent. I'm going to have my tent among you. And uh, you'll find a lot about that. But for instance, the end of Exodus says this at the end. They erected the tent and the altar and the veil and they, they finished the work. Then it says this, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled it. So this glory cloud, they were following this glory cloud. Even at night, it shone, this magnificent presence of God traveling with them. But now it's coming upon this very special tent and, and so much so that having made it, Moses initially can't even enter it because the intensity of the glory is so very great. And then gradually it becomes what's known as the tent of meeting. And you'll find that if you follow the story through, that Moses often would travel uh, through the camp and it says that men would stand at the entrance of their tents and they'd see Moses come through uh, the community and he'd go to the tent of meeting. And he'd come out from the tent of meeting and his face would be shining with glory. And he'd keep meeting with God. He'd put a a veil over his face and so on. Here's God then traveling with his people, this unique people who exclusively on the planet have God with them. Now I'm sure that was in John's mind when John wrote his gospel. And you'll find in chapter 1 it says, In the beginning was the word... The word was with God. The word was God. Then later it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's a famous verse. Often read it at Christmas. When it says he dwelt among us, the the actual word that's used in the text is he tabernacled among us. And then it says, and we beheld his glory. Now, the language is so similar that it's obvious that he's got in mind this story we just read, that, that hey, they had a tent, probably made of animal skins, but now it's not an animal skin tent, it's a human being. It's a man. And as the word became flesh. He, he tabernacled, he, he lived among us. Now God is moving into a new dimension. This is the new covenant. We've just referred to the old covenant where God was in a glory cloud and in a, hum, in a physical tent. Now he's in a human being and yet this glory is upon him, in him, through him. And this one lived among them. He lived among them. D.A. Carson commenting on this verse says this. God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man. When the word became flesh, God became man and pitched his tent 
among us. God became man and pitched his tent. He came amongst us. He's fulfilling that Old Testament story, but far more intimately. And John says, we beheld his glory. Now, it's a bit different. It's a bit different to seeing a cloud on a tent. Here's a man. In fact, the first time it says they saw his glory was at the wedding of Cana, where he did his first sign. And there, at an ordinary social occasion, a party celebrating a wedding, Jesus did his first sign. You know, Satan said, do it at the temple. Throw yourself down. Jesus said, no, I'd rather do it at a party. I'd rather do it with the people. I've come to be among the people. I want to manifest my love. And they're on the edge of a crisis. They're running out of wine. They're in a domestic, domestic opportunity to have total shame. The wedding you always remember because it ran out of wine. And Jesus transforms the situation. Turns their water into gallons of wine. Saves them from shame. And it says, and they saw his glory. That's the first time it's recorded in John's Gospel. They saw his glory. They think, wow, this God has come amongst us so kind, so merciful, so abundant. This is God amongst us. We beheld his glory. It says in John, no man has seen God at any time, but this one who dwelt in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. I think the NIV says explained him. He's made him known. He's, he's, he's revealed God. You can't see God, but this one who's in the fellowship, he's come to explain God, to come and tell us about God, to make God real to us in the midst of us. So later on, John's Gospel says, we touched and handled him. In his epistle, he says that. We touched and handled the word of life. The life was manifested. God came among his people. In an unprecedented way. For Moses, massive privilege. Israel has got a cloud of glory and a tent. New Testament, God himself in human form, the glory of God living among men. He revealed himself to us. And so God spoke to us. He made himself known. It's interesting. In Hebrews, I love the opening to the book of Hebrews. It says in chapter 1 of Hebrews, it says, um, God spoke to our fathers in the past through all sorts of ways prophets and so on in these last days he's spoken to us in son it says in a son some translations say in his son the word his is not in the text it just says he spoke in son and it's a bit like when i when i go and preach in mexico and i i I speak you know i preach and my mouth opens and closes and the people look and then the interpreter gets up and he, he speaks in Spanish, and they go, ah. Because they suddenly speak in Spanish. I'm speaking in... Then comes the language they understand. God has spoken to us in Son. He's spoken to us through a person, through someone who came right down to where we are. And talks to us about prodigal sons and sowing seeds and birds of the air and he comes amongst us and talks to us and fellowships with us and asks questions and answers questions he's amongst us speaking to us in terms we can understand he came and spoke to us in sun and it says this he is the radiance of his glory the radiance happens we've got a sunny day as you know we don't get many do we <laughs> but you can sometimes when you're driving along you know you see the you see the clouds 
And sometimes when you get a motorway in a bit of open space, you suddenly see a gap in the clouds. And what do we see? We see a beam of light. You see a sunbeam. So you can't look at the sun. Ah. But you can see a sunbeam. And it says he is the radiance. That's, that's a Bible definition. Jesus is the radiance. And what is that? What is the sunbeam? Well, it's the light. It's the sun coming to us. You can't stare at it. You go blind. But you can see it. And the Bible says Jesus is God coming to us where we can see him. He's coming to us in terms we can, we can get close to. He's the radiance of God. This is God. At the end, Thomas bows down before a man and says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Imagine saying that to a man you've just been with for three years. My God. This is God. Jesus is God. He's there with them. They touch him, they handle him. It says this too in Hebrews 1. He is the exact image of his nature. The exact image. He's the, he, he said, what does that mean, exact image? Well, it's the same word that's used when, when they ask Jesus, should we pay taxes or not? And he answers and says, give me a coin. They give him a coin and he asks this question, whose image is that on the coin? And they say, oh, it's Caesar's. So what does that mean? It means this. It means that some molten metal was passed through a machine and, and, and this picture, if you like, of Caesar was stamped onto the metal. Stamped onto the metal. Stamped. And what you get in the metal is exactly the same as the stamp. He is the, that's the exact stamp. It's the exact stamp. What is here is there. Jesus is the exact image of God. Precisely, exactly the image of God. Exactly. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus says to Philip, how long have you been with me? You haven't known me. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Not some little, no, you've seen the Father. This is what you see in me, that's it. I'm the exact image. So you might say, well, look, you know, is there a God? There must be a God. You know, there's a creator. I remember once being at a church where a guy gave testimony. He was unbelieving. His wife was a believer. And he's holding this little baby in his arms. And he said, I saw the baby. I looked into its eyes. And I thought, there's got to be a God. See, lots of people have different reasons. They think there's got to be a God. But what's he like? We know exactly what he's like. We're not wondering. We're not looking for mystical experiences. We know what he's like. We have the exact image of him. That's surely why God says don't make any images or idols. He's given us an exact image. Precisely. So we see Jesus. We, we, you might wonder, what, what's God's attitude to little children? We know the disciples' attitude. Get those kids out of here. Jesus said, bring them to me. Bring them to me. We know his attitude to, to fallen people, sick people. We see his attitude to Pharisees. We see everything we see in Jesus is telling me about the Father. It's all telling me about the Father. He's giving me an understanding of what God is like. I have a God, you have a God, exactly like Jesus of Nazareth. Exactly like him. Of course, there was the day when he kind of lost it, wasn't it? When he went to the temple and they were making money, turned it into a marketplace and, and he just lost it. You know, he just took the tables, turned them over, coins flying everywhere, made a whip, drove the animals out. 
I guess that night he said, oh, sorry, Father, I really failed you today. I lost it. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, when he did that, he's showing us exactly what the Father thought of all that. It's not that he lost it. It is that he displays God. I mean, the last book in the, in the Old Testament, Malachi, one of the things the prophet of the Old Testament says this, oh, that they would shut the doors because I hate what's happening in the temple. That's what it says in the end of Malachi. So Jesus comes and lives that out. He hated them missing the point and turning the church of God or the Old Testament temple into a money-making nonsense. Here's this perfect, then, a perfect display of what God is like. And these guys can say this extraordinary thing. We have seen him. We have heard what our eyes have seen, our hands have handled the life was manifested. They lived with this God. They lived with God for three years. Imagine what that was like. Sometimes we just need to ponder what it was like for these guys. They're with Jesus every day for three years. I can imagine some of their conversations. You know, when you wake in the morning, Where's Jesus? Oh, he's over there praying. Okay, because they often slept rough. He had nowhere to lay his head. They followed Jesus, so they're maybe out in the countryside sleeping under trees or whatever. Oh, there he is praying. I wonder what's going to happen today. Wow. Last week, I couldn't believe it. When he stopped that funeral, did you know when he stopped it? When he's crying, and he stopped the funeral and called that boy out. Whoa, that was amazing. And those lepers, those poor people ringing bells and trying to, and he, he just touched them and healed them. God, that was amazing being around Jesus every day, being around Jesus every day. Imagine what it was like for them being around Jesus every day. What about the day when it says he went up into the mountain and 5,000 followed him? 5,000, and we're not talking Everest, we're talking about the mountains around the Galilee, not very substantial mountains, you can walk up them, and, and, and they're all around Jesus. It says 5,000 followed him. It says 5,000 men, and it says not counting women and children. So D.A. Carson, great commentator, he says probably you're talking 20,000 people, that's his guess. Men, women, children, 20,000 people. And then it says Jesus taught them, and healed them. Then they all slept. The next day Jesus carries on teaching them and healing them. And then they all sleep. And then on the third day, it says he healed them all. 20,000 people on a mountain and every one of them's healed. Just think on it. It's like what we would call a third world situation. People milling around, crowds of people. There's not one sick person left. God has come down on that mountain in the form of Jesus. And they've been listening, being taught, experiencing his love, his wisdom, and getting healed. And, and, and they stayed up there, slept. And on the third day, the apostles say to Jesus, hey, you should send these people away. They've been getting hungry. They've been with us for three days. Come on. They should be sent away. And Jesus turns to them and says, you feed them. It's a joke. You feed them. What have you got? Well, we've got a few loaves, a handful of fishes. You know, what, what, he says, right, you feed them. I can imagine the disciples say, well, what's he talking about? 
And so he blesses it, breaks, gives to each of them. Right, go and feed them. I, I can imagine Simon Peter, he going, wow. Right, okay, well, a bit for you, a bit for you. I can imagine, what's going on here? Hey, what's happening? What's happening? Hey, what's happening? You have some. Yeah, you have some. Hey, you have some. And, and you see, he's being pulled into Jesus' world. It's not just that Jesus does these things. He's saying, come on, come and be part of it with me. Come and be in this with me. At one point, they sent, he sends them into a storm, and, and it's terrifying. They're being tossed around. They think they might drown. And suddenly Jesus is walking towards them on the sea. And Peter, who's learned a thing or two by now, says, you tell me to come to you. So he's learned something. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to try that. He says, you tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Hey, that's it then. If he said it, I can do it. And he gets out of the boat and walks out to one hand's distance from Jesus. When he starts seeing the waves and messes up, but he walks out to where Jesus is. Jesus is not just manifesting his life among them. He's drawing them into a, a life that was, hey, that's out of my reach. How can, this is another world. I'm being drawn into the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is breaking out. I'm with you. I'm among you. You watch what I'm doing. The kingdom's come. The spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me. And they're with, with these guys. They're, they're with Jesus all the time. This is just breathtaking. Every day is so exciting being with Jesus every day. Imagine, you know, three years ago I was just a fisherman. Just messing around with fish or a tax collector or whatever these guys were. Now I'm experiencing God close up every day. God's with me. I wonder what every day will bring. That's what it's like. And then suddenly, that verse that I read to you alone, verse 33. One day, Jesus said to them these words, Little children, I'm with you a little while longer. Where I'm going, you can't come. What? Just ponder that for a minute. See, when I sort of saw this in a new way recently, it's like, I've never seen that verse seriously before. I must have read it thousands of times. I've been a Christian a long time. Uh, you read verses, but I, I never thought it, it never had impact on me because when I became a Christian in my late teens from a pagan background, and, and I was probably told, you know, God's with you, He'll never leave you now. So I took that on board. I just, well, you know, no, Jesus will never leave us. That's what He promised. So, so when you read these verses, you don't kind of hit, it doesn't hit you because you, your brain goes past it. But if you put yourself in Peter's shoes, if I can put it that way, in his sandals, stand where Peter stood and hear, hear him say, I won't be with you much longer. Imagine what it's like to hear that. When you've been living with God every day in this, I mean, just mind-blowing experience. And suddenly he says, that's it. What do you mean? Imagine that for Simon Peter. Well, well, you see, for us, dear friends, you say, well, I, you, I became a Christian. You remember, you became a Christian. And then you say, well, how does that work? Well, we, we meet on Sunday mornings here, and then midweek we have a Wednesday night or something evening. And, you, know, you know, you're in, there's a book to read. And Peter, Peter's a Christian. He's a Jesus guy. 
What did it mean for, for Peter? I'll tell you what it meant for Peter. Being with Jesus every day. Isn't that it? Isn't that what he signed up for? He said this, I've left everything to be with you. He left his nets to do what? Well, to be here once a week. And no, 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 no. He left everything to be around God, to be with Jesus, to experience Jesus every day. That was the deal. You don't give up fishing for nothing. He gave up fishing to be with this breathtaking person who can change your life, who draws you into something breathtaking. And, and, and now he's going away? Hey, what about, I left my nets to be with you. Wouldn't you say that? You see, if you, if you read it like this, I won't be around much longer. What? You're the center, you're everything. It's like, what's today, what's the next day going to bring? What's he going to do? Well, he's not going to do anything anymore, it's all over. It's finished. I mean, just let that hit you. And then notice this, little verse later, it says that I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. What'd you say? So I'm not leaving, I'm coming. Oh, God, it's okay. Hey, guys, it's all right, he's coming back. It's okay, it's okay, so he's coming. Jesus, you must never say things like that again. You scared the life out of me. It's okay, so I'm coming back. Oh, thank goodness he's coming back. I cannot imagine life without you. I can't imagine living another day without experiencing Jesus in my life. Surely that's what he thought. Surely that's what he went through. How can I live without being with you after all this? It's okay, he's coming back. It's okay, guys, don't fret. He said he won't leave us orphans, he's coming. Oh, Jesus, you scared me to death. So here's another verse. I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. What does he mean? What do you think that verse means? What has that verse meant for you? In your experience. You've got to think of Peter. You see Peter saying. I'm going to have to live without you. After living with you. And he suddenly says. No it won't be like that. I'm coming back. Whew. See what is the church? Is the church a group of people. Who gather. To a fading memory. Of what it used to be like. When God was here. Is that what we are? So we've got it all written down. So, okay, well, let's write it. Let's, what, oh, yeah, remember when he said that one? Oh, it was good. Write that one down. Don't forget that. Oh, yeah, let's write that one down. He said that. And do you remember when he did that? Ah, oh, that was great. Hey, write that one down. Yeah, he did that. He said that. Got it all written down. Good, he's gone. But he's gone, but we've got it written down what he did when he used to be here. Is that what Christians are? A Christian is a group of people who gather to a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here. Or are Christians a bit like Moses who say, if your presence is not going with us, we're not going anywhere. See, that's what Peter was like. What? I'm going to live without you? No, 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 it's okay. I'm coming back. So what does it mean I'm coming back? Now, dear friends, this is where, to be honest, often the church doesn't kind of quite get it. We don't feel it in 3D. We kind of read it in two, or at least one dimension. We don't feel it. We don't like Peter, but have felt it. Tomorrow he won't be here. I remember in Brighton, when I was in Brighton for 30 years in the church there, and at one point it was led by a, a, a wonderful, huge personality guy called Peter Brooks. 
an Australian, fabulous personality, full of fun and laughter, very noisy, great guy. You knew when he was around, just terrific guy. And then there came the time when he, I remember him coming into my office and saying, it's time to go back to Oz. And he, uh, we, he, we always knew one day he would go, but it was always one day, one day. He'd been with us for X years, about 14 years. He'd been the senior pastor for seven of those years. And he came into my room and said, Terry, I think it's time I go. I'm going back. And I plant a church in Sydney, which he's done. But he thought, wow, this is, this is, he's going. And then you have the parties and say your goodbyes. And, you know, and then I remember we had a party. Bye, Pete. God bless you. We pray for him. Go. You know. Then the next day I drive down to church. I think, oh, where's Pete's car? I think, oh, you fool. He's gone. It's a kind of fading memory of what it was like when Pete used to be here. The church is a group of people with a fading memory of what it used to be when God was here. Or is it? Or is it? Oh, we've got a book with all the stories. Is that it? Do we just gather for the book? Is that it? It's interesting what this verse means. You, you can read lots of commentaries. When Jesus says, don't, you know, I'm, I'm coming back. If you, if you read, I've got lots of commentaries on John's Gospel. And, and, and they all say something like this. This is what Westcott says in his kind of classic commentary. The fulfillment of the promise began at the resurrection. The promise was potentially completed at Pentecost. It is to be crowned by his coming in judgment. No one application of the phrase exhausts its meaning. That's a very old commentary that says that. You get the NIV study Bible. In the study notes, it says almost exactly the same. It could be this, could be this, could be this. Could be the resurrection, could be Pentecost, could be the end of the age. I'm coming back. Dear friends, you can say that if you live in the 21st century, miles away from the action. If you're looking at it through Peter's eyes, that answer will not do. Because Peter has been living with God, and God's going away. And then says, no, it's okay, I'm not going away. So the resurrection, they say that's what it could be. Well, the resurrection's wonderful. Imagine, Imagine Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb, and she knows, listen, she knows he's dead. But Mary used to hang around with the apostolic crowd. She was, she was there every day. She was around Jesus all the time. And it says she went down to the tomb. She knows he's dead. But she's just going to anoint the body. Because just the thought of living a day without anything. You know, it just to be near the corpse. And, and then the corpse is gone. And you get this heart-rending cry. They've taken away my Lord. I don't know what they've done with him. And then she hears Mary. Ah, Rabbi. Oh, you can't imagine. It says they could not believe for joy. He's alive. But beloved, he's alive. But six weeks, 40 days later, he's gone. I think as he's going up into heaven, Peter would be saying, you said you wouldn't leave us. I won't leave you. So to me, the resurrection, it's not the resurrection. When these guys say, it could be the resurrection, it isn't. It can't be. And then some would say, well, it's, ultimately, it could, it could have meant when I come at the end of the age. 
Well, it's great to know who's coming at the end of the age, isn't it? You know, you look at your world, you think, what's happening? Climate, you know, the ozone layer's going up, the climate's going crazy, we're going to all boil, you know, what's going to happen to us, or Islam's taking over, or the economy's on a knife edge, you know, what's going to happen to the world? Jesus is coming. It's great news. It's great to know he will come with glory. He'll usher in new heavens, new earth. He's in charge. Well, it's great to know that. But for Simon Peter, who's been with Jesus for three years, and Jesus says, don't worry, I'm coming back in about 3,000. 3,000 years? What about next week? What about now? What about another day? I've left everything to be with you. A man called William Hendrickson, who's he's a very conservative scholar actually, but he says this. What Jesus means is my departure won't be like that of a father whose children are left as orphans when he dies. In the spirit, I am myself coming back to you. When the spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. Thus only can it be explained that the disciples are not left as orphans. Now that's a very conservative scholar, that's not a Pentecostal. He's saying that's the only way you can understand it. It's the spirit being poured out. That Jesus, when I come back, I'm sure on the day of Pentecost, they hear this kind of hurricane in the heavens, mighty rushing wind, fire. And I'm sure as they get filled, Peter must have thought, he's back, he's back. He's back. And I guess Pilate and others thought this, I thought I killed him. What's this? I hear people are getting healed when Peter walks down the street. What's happening? Paul's over here. Philip's over here. Simon's, uh, Stephen's over here. What's going on? I thought I smashed him to death and he's breaking out everywhere. This same Jesus is back. His presence is being experienced. God's amongst us. He's back, beloved. Otherwise, that's all we are. We're just a group of people who remember what it used to be. And that is not the deal. It really isn't. It gets better. Moses had something wonderful. When Jesus came, it was even more wonderful. When the Spirit got poured out, it's better still. It's better for you, he says. When I go, then the Spirit will come. It'll be even better. Even better. Read these gospel stories. Read the gospel of John. See Jesus. You see, Jesus, Paul said this. Paul said, we do not preach ourselves. Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus preached himself all the time. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the good shepherd, I'm the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the resurrection, you know, come to me, come to me. He's all the time saying, I am it. No, he says, if you, if you come, you can have rivers of living water pouring through you. This he spoke of the Spirit who was going to come. This other one who's come like me, Jesus says. He's coming amongst us. So we know the presence of God. We know the experience of God being with us. We can say, well, what is it to be a Christian? It's to live with Jesus every day. It's not just to go to the meeting. Is there a difference? Do you mean I have to read my Bible? No, not do I. Imagine saying to Simon Peter, imagine him saying, do I have to read my Bible? I've been with Jesus. Of course we find Jesus in the Bible. Of course we do. But the whole thing, we have to see it from a different perspective. We can know Jesus every day.
We can encounter him. We can experience him. We can enjoy him. Let me read you one more verse. I th- what time do you usually finish? About now. Yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay, one more verse. I just sort of wanted to slip out the back. Sorry, a bit of an eye-opener. Okay, so we just... I, didn't, I should have asked at the beginning. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. <laughs> Jesus said this. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house... There are many rooms. Now he uses funny language, house and rooms. It's like he said, I am the true vine. Yeah, you imagine the disciples think, he thinks he's a tree now. I mean, he has to use picture language. You're a branch, I'm a tree, house, rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. If I prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. What do you think that means? Have we always thought, well, that means when you die, you go to heaven. There's a room for you. Well, is that, we could always kind of read the Bible. What did it mean to the people who first heard it? That's the way we must understand the Bible. It's not speaking to 21st century. It comes alive to us as we understand what it's saying, that then we apply it to our life. He's talking to men who are getting ready for global evangelization. And he's not telling them straight away, when you snuff it, there's a room and I'm, I'm, I'm getting it ready. You know, I'm giving it a fresh lick of paint. I'm fluffing up the cushions. I'm getting a room for you. We just said that later in the chapter when he says, I'll come again to you. That means when the spirit comes. That's what it means. What about the beginning of the chapter? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I've done that, I'm going to come and receive you to myself. I want to just suggest to us, dear friends, that when the Spirit comes, he's, he's receiving us to himself. He, when I saw it this way, I wrote in my margin of my Bible, every day, Jesus, you're my dwelling place. Come and receive me to yourself. I want to come into fellowship. I want to come and be with you. I want to meet with you this morning. I want to sing to you, talk with you, let you speak, you talk to me. Let's be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be in your life. I want you in my life. I'll come to you, receive you. You see, he says this. I am in the Father. The Father is in me, earlier in the chapter. Later in the chapter, he says, when the Spirit comes, then you'll know. I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. And, and I am in you. When the Spirit comes, you're going to know me in a way you've never known me before. You're going to be as intimate, you'll be more intimate with me than you've ever been before. You're going to know me in a new way. Then you'll know, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. Paul uses similar language, but he says this, my life is hid with Christ in God. That's Paul. Paul says this, we are seated with him in heavenly places. He's writing in a different style, different way. He says, my life is a poor Jesus. And when the spirit comes, you'll know it. We can know it kind of positionally through Paul's epistles, through what John says, what's recorded, what Jesus says. Then you'll know it experientially. You can know your life is hid with Christ in God. When he comes to receive you, when you begin to engage with him in the spirit, when you begin to speak in tongues to him, when you begin to enjoy him, begin to sing out to him, experience the spirit being with you, you are finding room in that room that's prepared for you. You are dwelling in the spirit. The spirit's dwelling in you. We wake up each morning. What's you got for us today, Lord? What have you got for us today? 
I know for myself since seeing that, my expectation of God doing miracles and healings has grown a lot. Because well, he's here. I won't leave you, I'll come to you. He's with us. He's here. And so we're going to finish in a moment because I have gone over time. But if anyone here would like to be prayed for, I'd love to pray for you. And there'll be others here, I'm sure, I'd love to pray with people. I'd, I'd especially, if you've, if you've got lower back pain, I'd love to pray for you. Sometimes that pain shoots down the sciatic nerve. If you get lower back pain, I'd love to pray for you. If you have arthritic knees, arthritis in your knees, I'd love to pray for you. If you found your head, you can't turn your head fully, freely, I'd like to pray for you. If you can't lift your arms without a lot of pain, I'd love to pray for you. And there may be other people here who've got certain things that God whispers into their heart. And we'd love to pray for you. Okay? So let's just stand to pray and we'll complete our meeting. Let's just draw near to God. I think we won't sing because I've, I've made it late already. Okay, we'll just come to God. Let me just invite you as we pray. Have you, have you thought being a Christian is... You know, you just get on with life and you go on Sunday mornings. Maybe you go to Wednesday night, something. God's inviting you to live your life with Jesus. That's the deal. To live with him. Enjoy him. Expect to meet with him daily. Because he's here. He wants to meet with you. He wants you to live your life with him. Do you live your life with Jesus? Jesus said each day, you know, shut the door, talk to your father in secret. Get time with him. Expect to meet with him. Talk to him. Expect him to answer prayer. He wants to live with you. Father, we just pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, for any of us who've settled for a lot less, we've kind of thought the church is a group of people with a fading memory of what it used to be like when God was here. Lord, we don't want to settle for that. We really don't. We really don't. We want to know you and experience you. You want to feel like Moses, I'm not going anywhere if you're not coming with me. So Lord, I just pray for everyone here for a renewed sense of fellowship with you, renewed sense of enjoying your love, your companionship. Lord, bless us each one. Bless us as we reflect upon this word, live with it, let it keep living with us, we pray, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.